Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay, and we're in a series called A Man After God's Own Heart on the life of King David from the Old Testament. God called him a man after his own heart, but we see that he was far from perfect. What was it about this man that God liked so much? This series looks at David's environment, his experiences, and his responses to try to discover how we can live a life that brings delight to God's heart. But we're doing a, a series on the life of David, a man after God's own heart, and these first two weeks, this week and next week, we have to trot from all the way from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 15. So we're doing, going deep into the Word here as we fly by at 1,000 miles an hour. And this week we're looking at chapters, just chapters 2 through 6, why rush? And then next week, 7 through 15, we'll go a little quicker and then we'll, then we'll slow down. But today's message is on the legend of Sleazy Hollow, and our topic is spiritual rotting. Uh, and the challenge to turn away from decay and sin in our lives. Do you ever worry about our country? Like every time you turn on the news, uh, you think, what's, what's wrong with us? What's happening to us? Uh, do you sense a rottenness over the land? Whether, it come, whether you're looking at uh, families, children, the school situation, things even that happen in our in our military, in government, and not only the things that happen, but the change in the way now people respond to what happened. At least before when bad things would happen, because bad things always happen, there would be a sense of outrage or horror, and now it's almost as though everybody's falling over themselves to figure out a way to put evil in its best light. Let's take a look at, now in, at, at the Bible as we open up to 1 Samuel, because that was a time also when it was the same in many ways in the life of Israel. And we've got an overview of the book and just very quickly what we're going to look at in these five chapters. Chapter 2 is God's rejection of Hophni and Phinehas. Who were Hophni and Phinehas? Eli's sons. They were the, they were the priests in charge. There was a high priest, but he was very old. So these two guys kind of ran things. If you're thinking about what to name your next child, you know, Hophni, Hophni Clay. And, uh, but they were not really following the Lord, as we're going to see. And then chapter 3 is that wonderful story of God's calling of little Samuel in the temple. And then 4, 5, and 6 is an, is an issue with the ark. That's Chapter 4 is the ark being taken from Israel in battle. Chapter 5, the troubling of the Philistine cities as they find that the ark of God and the presence of God is too hot to handle. And they all get hemorrhoids and mice. You know, how creative is God? And then in chapter 6, they decide, I think we're going to give this thing back. And uh, so they send it back. So the first two chapters covers a period we don't really know, but say 15 to 25 years, long enough for Samuel to grow up and be able to replace Hophni and Phinehas. And then the issue with the ark being taken and being gone from Israel lasts about seven months. 
And that brings us up, that'll bring us up to the end of Samuel's ministry and the beginning of Saul. Now, what kind of period of time was this? Well, we're right at the end of what was called the time of the judges. That meant sort of a local chieftains as opposed to an overall king. So it was the height of federalism like we used to have in America where every state, you know, was pretty much independent. And the verse that you've probably heard quoted at different times that sort of captures what was going on in those days was, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Isn't it ironic how something that at first blush sounds like, what's the problem with that? When you actually look at what it looks like when sinners do that, it looks really, really bad. And that's kind of where it seems like we're heading also as a nation, isn't it? Everyone wants to do what's right in their own eyes. It's two consenting adults. It's like, well, what, how does this hurt somebody else? And uh, instead of having a standard of righteousness, uh, all the rules of how do you judge what's right and wrong, good and bad, all of it changes. So let's uh, look at chapter 2. So it says, uh, you know, as we think about, well, we, the case of the whole country was really bad. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And there are those terrible stories at the end of the book of Judges just to illustrate when we say bad, what do we mean? And it's, the, you know, the, the, the rape of the concubine, and then they chop her up in pieces, send her out through the whole, the whole country. I mean, it's a bad story, you know. I mean, it's like, oh, is that what we're talking about? That is bad. And so you think, well, what's going on with the spiritual leaders at this point? They should be at least standing up and saying, hey, wait a minute, guys, you know, we need to return to God. But we look at the two main leaders, the two guys that are under the Pope equivalent, you know, they're, they're high priest. This is what it says about them. It says in, in New American Standard, it says, they did not know the Lord. So they, and they were the spiritual leaders. You think at the very minimum, the spiritual leader should have some contact with the deity, you know. <laughs> But uh, they hadn't, they, they didn't know the Lord. Okay, so they, did, they also didn't know the custom of the priest with the people. They didn't know what were the priestly customs. What, they didn't really even know their job very well. But there were certain ways that uh, sacrifices and offerings were to be offered. It was, it, I mean, we're f- more familiar with like the, the things surrounding the Lord's Supper and what the kind of do's and don'ts. You know, there's some things you just don't do. You know, when they're passing around the cups, you don't high-five people and cheer and, you know, spread it around, or, you know, you don't spread jam on the, on the little wafer, you know. I mean, they're just things like, you just don't do that, you know. I mean, you haven't really thought about why you don't do that, but you just know there's a, there's a way to do it that's honoring to the Lord and taking it seriously. And since there, the, the form of worship was sacrifice, there was a certain procedure that they would do to offer to the Lord, and then the, uh, the animal that was, was left over from the sacrifice, then it was given to the priest, etc. But the Hophni and Phinehas would take it whenever they want, whatever they want, and what would, they, what would they do if the person said, no, that's not right? What would they do? Well, punch them, you know? Well, well hit you if you don't give it to us. Oh, wow, great spiritual leader, can you imagine? Oh, one of our pastors saying, look, either you do it, I'm going to sock you, and some of them look strong. So, they, the third one is it says they stole from the offerings, and then fourth, in verse 22, uh, it says, Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent. So, I mean, there was also immorality. So where does, this, where does this leave us with the spiritual leaders? Well, in other words, they were unspiritual, unprofessional, irreverent, unethical, and immoral. These, these are our good examples. You know, we have a lot to be thankful for with our past. 
Now, as we move forward to chapter 3, there, God is, isn't it wonderful that even in the worst of times, God is always at work? And he's working to, call, to raise up a new generation of something better. In chapter 3 is the call of Samuel. It says in 1 Samuel 3, 1, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. He was probably maybe five at this time. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Visions are infrequent right now in our country, but they're very frequent in the Middle East. It's very interesting how God at times does things, and at other times he decides not to. But verse 2, it happened at that time, verse 3, Samuel was lying down in the temple or in the tabernacle. Where was that? Well, I got a little picture here. The tent was divided into two parts. The altar of sacrifice was outside, and in, just inside the main door, there was an altar of incense, which they would offer incense every day in the morning and evening. There was a golden table of showbread. There was a golden lampstand. Then there was a big veil here, and there was the Ark of the Covenant of the Presence. And the high priest would only go back in there once a year. So Samuel was apparently sleeping somewhere right around in here. The lamps were lit, so the, the light was on. He could see, and he's lying down in here somewhere sleeping. I don't know how they got that idea to sleep in there, but... And, and he hears this voice. It says, verse 4, the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. And he thinks it's Eli, and you've got that great story of three times this happened. And finally, Eli says, well, maybe it's God. And so Samuel listens and gets a, a message, a scathing message of rebuke for Eli, since he hadn't taken firm enough steps to stand up to his sons and rebuke them. So anyway, God calls a new, a new priest, even as a child. Wouldn't it be wonderful to think about the Lord calling your child, speaking their name, doing something so special in their youth that it, it sort of seals them for the rest of their life. Wendy, in her 20s, had a, a beautiful time when she was wondering, is God real and how can I know? And, and the Lord really a, appeared to her in a dream. And uh, she even heard his voice saying, I am, three times. You know, I've never heard the Lord's voice that way, but, but just think about how God might be calling one of your children someday to a special task, and more than anything else, just to himself. What a, what a blessing to have children that love the Lord. I remember coming out one morning, and I'd just gotten up, I think, and I, I was like 6.30, and I, I saw Thomas, who was six years old, sitting on the couch having his quiet time in the middle of the book of Job, and I thought, I'm unworthy of this, Lord. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, the ark was in there. We, we saw the ark back there in the, uh, this box in the Holy of Holies. And what was in that box? The contents of the Ark of the Covenant, that we know this uh, is confirmed in the book of Hebrews in chapter 9, but there was the Ten Commandments, the two tablets. There was a jar of manna. I don't know at this point, 400 years later, and what shape the manna was in. Maybe manna dust by now. But, and then there was Aaron's rod that had budded when they questioned whether or not, how, why should Moses and Aaron be the leaders? And they put all, a staff from each of the 12 tribes into the presence of the Lord. And overnight, one of the staffs turned into a, like a tree. I mean, branches and leaves and ripe almonds, just showing that that, that was God's choice for who was going to be the leader. And also there was originally the, uh, the cloud of, of glory. 
I guess we we have no way of knowing whether at this time, 400 years later, if there was still a cloud above the tabernacle. It doesn't say either way. But regardless of, of that, it implied that if you were going to give a location to God at that period of time, that's where you would have located him. I mean, that's where that was the intersection of heaven and earth, was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it wasn't an image of God like other, other groups would have a an image of a bull or, or, a, or a figure of a man with wings or something like that. There, uh, at the very center of the Jewish worship was a box holding the things that reminded them of the reality of God, that he speaks, that he provides, that he works through human leadership that he's appointed. And it just remembrances of God's reality. So in chapter 4, they have a battle. And I want you to circle where Shiloh was. I've done some interesting excavations in Shiloh. Shiloh was basically in the middle of the whole country, so I think they picked it mostly because of, uh, of that. And this is where the tabernacle was. This is where the little boy Samuel was called. You've got Jerusalem down here, Shechem up here, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. When they first came into the land, they pronounced the blessings and the curses at that place. So in chapter 4, they go over and have a battle at Aphek. doesn't go well, so then they decide, well, let's take God with us. And they come, and uh, probably for a few shekels, they get Hophni and Phinehas to come along for the ride and bring the ark. And they go over to Aphek, fighting against the Philistines. The green is all uh, the Philistines who are from Phoenicia, and they had five major cities that were called the Decapolis. And they have this battle at Aphek. Apparently at that point, it, the battle went so badly that they came back and destroyed Shiloh. They, they've excavated down. They realize it's a, there's a burned level that they associate with this period of time. And never again was the tabernacle ever at this place. So then they took their trophy. Once you defeat a, a, another people, you take their idol or whatever it is that's the center of their worship because what you're showing is uh, our God beat their God. So they, they, bring, they bring God back, God in his box, over to Ashdod. So, you know, we are so tough, you know. And chapter 5 pretty much is the trouble that God causes for them in Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. So draw arrows to show where Ark was going at that point, down to Gath. Who was from Gath? Goliath. So Goliath probably remembered this story, or at least his dad did, told him about it when the uh, Ark of God came. Now, uh, chapter, what is it, 16 or 17 is... is where they're going to fight. And then they take the ark to Ekron, but they decide in chapter 6 that we've got to, we've got to do something about this. Uh, it's going to kill us if we keep this box. And so they, they devise this plan to return it to, to the nation of Israel. And they have an interesting way of going about it. They say, well, let's, let's build a new cart and put the box, put the ark in it, and put two cows that are milking calves to pull it, and we'll keep the calves here, and we'll let cows do whatever they want. And normally they would stay with their nursing calves. And the calves immediately marched right off to Israel to a place, place called Beth Shemesh. So by the time they get to Beth Shemesh, they've returned it to the Israelites. Now they get it to the, the, the guys here, and they all get curious and look in the box. And it says, uh, somewhere in here, how many thousands died? How many? 
Uh, well, their last curious act was to look in the box. So, you know, it says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To realize God has said certain things, and that's, that's just the way they are. And you can, you can do anything you want with that, but once you make your choices, there are certain consequences. And that's not God being mean, it's just God being clear. Uh, now, one thing we didn't mention was, at the beginning of this uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6, when the ark is taken, let's go back to that. In chapter 4, uh, verse 4, So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who sits above the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. So the ark is taken, Hophni and Phinehas are killed. They come back and tell Eli that he faints with horror, falls backward, breaks his neck, he dies. And right at that point, one of the Phineas's wife is pregnant and gives birth to a child. What a bad day, you know. Your husband's killed, the ark is taken, your father-in-law's killed. Shortly after that, the Philistines showed up and also destroyed that whole area, so she also had to move. And it says in verse 21, And she called the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God was taken. Uh, the word for glory in Hebrew is kabod, kabod, and the i in front of it means none. So it means no, literally means no glory. The glory's gone. God's gone. The glory's gone. And what a sad, sad time. So we, uh, we saw that at the time of the judges, there was general ungodliness in the people at large, but also sin in the, in the people of God, even the ones that were supposedly the believers and everything were not uh, faithfully following God. There was a lot of idolatry in the land at the time. The Baals, the Asherah, these were the deities that people had worshipped before the Israelites had come into Palestine. Why would they be tempted to worship Baal? He was the god of rain. It hadn't rained in a while. And says, well, we need to trust the Lord. He says, well, we could, we could check out Baal too, just to, you know, you know, maybe he could give us a hand. Well, mostly be with the Lord, but maybe a little bit with Baal. And Asherah was a female deity to help them, goddess of fertility. So we've been trying to have a child. We, we're not getting pregnant. It's been a year or two. We've been praying. God hasn't done anything. Maybe we should also do something for Asherah. Maybe she could help us out. So there are sins in the people of God, and we also see corrupt spiritual leaders. And what did that lead to? Uh, the departure of God's glory. Now, isn't it amazing that it took that long for God to leave, in a sense, you know? But God, that's one of the ways God shows his mercy. I mean, if we got what we deserved, we'd have been destroyed a long time ago. But nevertheless, there, uh, like at the time of Noah, God says it's reached a breaking point. And... Uh, Things, things are going to change now. Well, what is spiritual decay? What is spiritual decay? It's when something 
dies and starts to rot. Something that was alive. And I almost brought in something that would be uh, illustrate decay, but that's such a revolting thing to bring a rotten piece of meat in a class, and then you can't get the smell out and everything. I thought, well, I'll just tell them, and they've seen enough awful stuff that they'll, they don't need me to actually bring something in. Their mind will do the, do the work. But what a shame that something that was alive and was useful and was a blessing has now turned into something rotten and even a curse. You know, that's the way gangrene is. A part of your body loses its circulation for whatever reason. It dies. It starts to rot. And as the other blood, correct me if I'm wrong, goes to it and comes back, it brings back the toxins of that part of the body that's dying. And that's why all you can do is uh, you have to cut it off. If you can't save it, you have to cut it off because otherwise it poisons the whole rest of the body. And you think... Here, it was a perfectly good finger, a perfectly good hand, a perfectly good foot, but now we've got to cut it off and throw it away, get it away from us, because that rotting has started, and not only will we lose it, we might lose everything. How does decay start? Well, it starts quietly at first. There's not some alarm that goes off, says, oh, it just started to rot. It just, no, it just sort of, you go back later and says, I think this is, this has gone bad. I mean, it happens with your milk, happens with all kinds of things. Happened with my skim milk the other day, and I'm kind of squeezing the bottle to get the air out, see, let's see, is how bad is it? And then I think, well, maybe it's just around the rim, so I'll pour some out, taste a little bit, and says, no, no, life's too short, I'm going to get rid of it. But it starts in one area, and then it spreads. And what are the results of spiritual decay? Well, eventually, God's glory departs. His glory departs. And I wonder today, as you think about your own life, think about your family, as you think about your church, is the glory of the Lord there? Has the glory of the Lord departed from your life? Has he departed from your family? Has he departed from your church? And if so, why? And what's the solution? God brought you here today for more than a lesson on ancient Israel. When you think about the glory of God, what do you think about? What is the glory of God? I mean, most people don't have a cloud forming over their home, a pillar of fire at night. But the sense of the nearness of God, personally, and and as a family, I know we get mighty busy, but what... What are you going to trade for the great surpassing value of knowing the Lord, of sensing his presence in your life, in your family, his nearness, his joy, his peace? I wonder today, do you still enjoy God? What what does he mean to you? How real is he to you? You know, it's easy to bemoan general ungodliness. And anybody that reads the paper or watches the news even, even non-Christians are pretty horrified at some of these things going on. And we wonder what's wrong with our nation, the world. You know, I think the challenge today, as we think about this passage and the legend of Sleazy Hollow and Ichabod, uh, is to start with ourselves. I, I can't change the whole country. But no one else can do in your life what you can choose to do. 
And you dads, you're the spiritual leaders in your home. If there's not a spiritual emphasis in your home, it's mostly you. I know your wife is trying to get you to you know, do what you're supposed to do. But you're the one that needs to rise up as the man of God in that family. Uh, I'm reminded of, the, of a story of a set of articles that was written about 50 years ago in the Times magazine in England. And they asked several famous authors to write essays on the theme, What's Wrong with the World? What's Wrong with the World? And they'd been looking at different areas of, the, of prostitution and corruption in government and unethical business practices and pickpockets and problems with the schools and the family. And at the end of each article, it would be, What's Wrong with the World? What's Wrong with the World? And they asked these authors to write back about it. And G.K. Chesterton uh, wrote a letter, a famous letter, that is as follows. Dear sirs, what's wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. And I want you to think today, when you think about what's, what's wrong with our country, I am. I could be a better Christian. I could be a better dad. I could be a better husband. I could be a better wife. I could be a better mother. I could be a better American. It's not as though, I mean, you're doing so much better than so many people you could name. And I'm sure there were people that were doing much worse than Hoffney and Phineas at that time. I mean, at least they weren't murdering people. I mean, you, they, even they could have said, well, there's tons of bad things we haven't done yet. <laughs> It's not, are you not as bad as you could be? It's that God is calling you up to live for him in a more powerful way. I want us to take some time to think about this one verse. Just grab one thing from 1 Samuel 2.30, where God is speaking. You've got it there at the end of your page. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, and he's talking to Eli, I did indeed say that your house meaning your family, and the house of your father should walk before me forever. I was going to prolong your life. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. How do you honor God? If he says, if you honor me, I will honor you. E even if the whole country is going down the tubes. I mean, he honored Samuel. Samuel had a long and fruitful life and ministry, and he was the one that God used, finally, to choose and anoint David. And don't you know Samuel in heaven is really happy about that right now? I mean, that was the beginning of the line of the Messiah. And is it encouraging to think there God has given us the way so that even if things get a hundred times worse, that he has still made a way of blessing for me and for my family if I respond to what he has said. He says, for those who honor me, I will honor. How do you honor God? You honor him with your time, putting him first in your day, putting him first in your week. That, that time of reading the Bible and praying. It might not be the first thing in the morning if you're crazy schedule with the kids and everything, 
but figuring out like they did in the Old Testament. If they had 10 animals, they would figure out, well, what's the best animal I've got? You know, I don't have an ox. I can't give the ox I don't have. But I do have this cute little lamb. I could give that. And some people only have a certain period of time of the day or a certain length of time. That's just what you've got. Well, you give him that. You don't say, well, yeah, but it's not in the morning and it's not five hours long and it's not... You know, it's the widow's might. And he might say of you, no, she gave more than everybody else because she gave all she had. Uh, you, you honor him with your money by tithing, even in a time when, when times are tight. You, you honor him by guarding your tongue and realizing I, I can't give in to being such a negative, critical person. You honor him by loving your spouse and loving your children. You honor him by honoring your parents even when they start to get pretty difficult. You honor him by believing in him even when you're facing really difficult times and you really want to panic. There are tons of ways that you honor him. But look at the promise. He says, for those who honor me, look at that word there, I will honor. God can't lie. He can't go back on what he said. This is something uh, that's automatic. That as you are honoring him, He says, I will honor you. I will honor you. So what are you going to do to honor him? And I want you to think about this as we close here. But sometimes you get under the pile and you think, you know, I'm discouraged enough as it is. But I want you to know that God is at work. He's got you here today just to hear this. He hasn't given up on you. He's not asking you to jump over the moon. He says, no, take it a day at a time. Jesus said in John eleven forty, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Your life won't be Ichabod. Reach out and grab back onto God. For some of you, you, you know you've got some, a certain amount of spiritual decay. For men, it might be in, in, in looking at things you shouldn't look at online or in other places. For women, it might be emotionally you're just distancing yourself from, from, your, from your husband or from your child or from your mother or whatever it might be. There's a certain amount of spiritual decay that if you were honest with yourself, you say, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's right, and it shouldn't be that way. There was a point in our lives with, with Wendy in Argentina in our first term there that we talked ourselves into thinking that, well, if we get, there was a certain set of magazines that was coming out that was for married couples, et cetera, et cetera, but it was way overly illustrated. And uh, after a period of time, we realized, no, this is, this is supposedly okay, but it's not okay. This is really spiritual decay. And we repented, got rid of the things, you know. Uh, I wish I could say that we were smart enough and holy enough to not have done it in the first place, but we did. And everybody's got their own things that you you struggle with. But now, today is the day to say it's enough of spiritual decay. I really want the glory of God in my life. I really want the glory of God in my family. I want God to show up. And he says, if you honor me, I will honor you. And this is the kind of thing to talk with your spouse and say, sweetheart, if we could only do one or two things about this, what small step could we take to honor him? that we're not doing right now. Wendy and I started just taking two minutes to read the Bible together at night before we go to bed. Maybe even just a third of a chapter. It only takes like two minutes. But uh, it's, it's a step forward for us. And we've been married for 27 years. Now, we do have a, a two-minute prayer, too. But, but this is like, well, we could do two minutes, you know. 
read, read a bit of the Bible. So it doesn't have necessarily have to be something big, but something you're making a statement by taking a step to honor him. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this challenge. We don't want our lives to be Ichabod. Oh, God, we don't want our family to be that way. We don't want our church to be that way. And you've said you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And you're looking for that man, for that woman that will stop and recognize, I've really drifted. I've really kind of gone sour. I'm not uh, in the word. I'm not praying. I'm not filled with thanksgiving. I'm, I'm filled with complaining and fear and worry. I'm feeling rebellious in my heart. I'm feeling bored with God. Today is the day, Lord. We just want to repent of that, turn back to you, and trust that you'll bless our nation as you lead us in paths that honor you, that bring you glory, that model before our children that no matter what happens in the world out there, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.